Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ, The Planet, every Tuesday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's also on YouTube and Podomatic. Just go to our YouTube channel, and you'll be able to get the show probably within the next week or so. Also, Podomatic.com and Punch in Camp Constitution. You'll be able to get this in um as a podcast in a downloadable uh, MP3 format. This show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And this year's camp will take place in uh, Lakeside Christian Camp and Retreat Center in beautiful Pittsfield, Massachusetts, from July 28th to August 3rd. And we have a great lineup of instructors, including Professor Willie Soon, Lord Christopher Monckton, uh, Reverend Stevie Kraft and Mr. John McManus and many, many others. Uh, so for more information, please visit our website, campconstitution.net. Well, on the line is uh, Tony Heller. Tony, how are you doing? Good. How about yourself, Phil? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, Tony is the, uh, he's the author of the Deplorable Climate Science blog, and today you had an incredible article that Willie soon forward to me, uh, forwarded me called The Extreme Fraud in the National Climate Assessment. Uh, can you just give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, and then we can talk about um, the article? Yeah, Hal. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, I've been uh, – uh, I have degrees in engineering, electrical engineering, biology. Uh, universities, uh, government, industry, processor designer. Environmental issues. Our life. I, I, I testified. Years ago, I started getting interested. Hello? Tony? Yeah, you can't hear me? Oh, no, I, got, I think I was off for a minute here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, uh, I somehow dropped. So, um, yeah, so today you had a – I'm sorry. Yeah, so today you had a, a incredible article uh, on your blog about the uh, the extreme fraud in the National Climate Assessment. Uh, can you talk a little about the article? And by the way, I really appreciated all of the um, pictures of articles, newspaper clippings going back to the 1890s. You had one from 1936 which said something like 12,000 people died in a heat wave all across the United States. Yeah, well, you know, one of the big scare stories which climate alarmists use that we're all going to burn up, that um, it's going to keep getting hotter and hotter as carbon dioxide increases. Hmm. Have to move to Antarctica. That, that's been one of the big stories. But the fact is that um, in the United States, where we have the best temperature records in the world, Every indication is that summers are getting cool for 90 degree days. Back in the 1930s during the Dust Bowl, 
John Steinbeck wrote about so poignantly. I have 1936. And rather sharply. So the story is that in, in the 2017 and they're showing past heat, past heat wave. Final document, which was off all of the data before. Top climatologist. Tony, you're dropping in and out. I don't know if it's your your phone or the system itself. I can. Uh, I'm just picking. Maybe if we reschedule, because I think we're losing most of what you're saying. Um, is it, okay, I've got a headset on. I just took it off. Is this better? Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay, maybe there's something wrong with that headset. <laughs> <All right>. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah, so with, did you hear the part I was talking about, the, the Ice Age scare in the 60s and 70s? Yes, that's, that's right. In fact, I remember I was in junior high school in the early 70s and remember my uh, pretty eighth grade uh, science teacher telling us about a, um, the potential of an Ice Age I remember a few days in the hundreds degrees, probably in the in the seventies. But quite frankly, uh, well, I don't have a hundred percent recall. I don't recall a lot of days. And I live in Boston, where we yeah. do get some warm summers. But I don't recall any time in the hundreds uh, in a long time. Yeah, they definitely hundred degree days were much more common in the United States um, ninety years ago than they are now. Um, it, so that's that that's been the big issue, and and the and the gra and the data that was in the the 2017 National Climate Assessment um, was showed that it showed that it was much hotter in the past. There were a lot more hot days, but but in the document that was released to um, the public in 2018, the final document, they cut all that out, and they just started their graphs in 1960. And like I said, 1960, 1970 were very cold. Scientists at that time were actually talking about spreading soot on the polar, on the Arctic in order to melt it, in order to stop a new ice age. Um, so, so by starting their graphs in 1960, what they did was they've been able to show a slight increase in the number of hot days, and that's been the basis for their claim that we're all going to burn up. But see, if they started the graphs back in 100 years ago, like say in 1918, 
there's been a huge decrease in the number of hot days and it becomes obvious that we're having fewer and fewer hot days rather than more and more. So basically it was just fraud. They, they obviously made a calculated decision to ignore their own data, find the lowest point they could find for, for night for hot weather, and then plot a graph from that just so that they could deceive the public. It was pretty blatant. Um, could you imagine if Enron or some other company did something like that? Hey, people would go to jail. And it's not accidental. Their own data shows otherwise. And what's really astonishing to me is that none of the scientists who are involved in making the graphs that were in the 2017 report have spoken up about this. They've just allowed this to go through. So it's, 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 I see this all the time, though. They, they did the same thing with Arctic sea ice data. They started at the highest year. They did the same thing with fire data. We used to have a lot more burn acreage in the United States back in the 30s, actually about five times as much burn acreage in the 30s as we have now. They did the same thing. They started their graphs at a time when burn acreage was low and cut out all of the uh, prior data. So it's a consistent pattern among government climate scientists to misrepresent their own data. They'll cherry pick a starting point, which makes their point of that it's getting hotter, that um, the climate's getting more severe, and, and just ignore any data which shows the exact opposite. Well, that's just like the hockey uh, stick graph. Wasn't that the, uh, one of the most blatant illustrations of duplicity? when they used that little graph to look like it was some serious CO2 was rising dramatically along with the temperatures. And I think, wasn't that back in 04 and 05? Uh, that was, yeah, I think that was originally done around 1998 or 1999 was um, when they started that. Yeah, and so in the 2000s, one IPCC report, they had that graph, the hockey stick graph in there, which directly contradicted what they had in the 1995 and, and 1990 IPCC reports, which showed no such thing. There's, there's, there's been a deliberate, oh, and there was famous testimony um, for Congress, uh, uh, Dr. David Deming from the University of Oklahoma is a geologist testified for Congress um, that he was approached by a leading climate researcher in the mid-90s who told him we need to get rid of the medieval warm period. And, and that's exactly mm. what Michael Mann did with the hockey stick. Right. Yes, I remember so hearing about that. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot. This has happened over and over again. There's, there was a lot of evidence dug up in the climate gate emails. They, they were openly communicating that they wanted to get rid of the 1940s blip, which was this you know, period of warmth in the 30s and 40s, and they did that. They removed it. You know, they, they wanted to get rid of the Middle Evil warm period, and they did that. You know, and they wanted to get rid of the hot 1930s in the United States, and that's what they did in this year's National Climate Assessment. So it's a very consistent pattern of fraud and deception. Of course, the ultimate goal, it's, it's like, to, it looks like a, it's a big power grab. Now, I'm very familiar with Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, and the transformation of society through uh, this idea of a carbon, lower your carbon footprint, sea level rising. Yeah. And uh, can you comment on this, uh, this Green New Deal that has been proposed in the Congress just, just recently? Well, yeah, obviously this was the result. I mean, it was um, 
proposed by someone who was very young, who, who grew up in our school system where they're fed nonstop propaganda about global warming and they, were, they, were, they watched Al Gore sci-fi flick. And, and they've been taught that we're facing this huge catastrophe unless we get rid of our fossil fuels. And it was a, obviously a pretty logical thing for her to promote because this is what she's been taught and probably what she believes. You know, but it's complete nonsense, um, this idea that 12 years from now there's going to be this huge climate catastrophe. There's no evidence that the, there's no evidence that the climate is getting more severe. Um, you can go through just any one of the things they claim are getting more severe, and if you actually look at the historical data, you can see that that's not true. We're not headed towards any sort of climate apocalypse. I'm sure there's a lot of other environmental problems we've got facing us, but carbon dioxide and the climate is not one of them. Um, so, and, and, and furthermore, so their solution is to um, to eliminate fossil fuels, right? The fossil fuels are this evil thing, and mm -hmm. nobody else is going to do that, right? China is not going to do that. China emits That's right. more than twice. China emits more than twice as much carbon dioxide as the United States does. And between China and India, they're building more than 1,000 new coal-fired power plants. So nothing the United States does will make any difference anyway. But the plan is to, for the United States to unilaterally disarm, get rid of our fossil fuels, and, and what would people, you know, just in the past two weeks, Illinois set their all-time record for cold of minus 38 degrees. Hawaii just set their all-time record for cold. They just had their lowest elevation snowfall on record in Hawaii. It was snowing on Maui last week, wow. which is unheard of. Um, yeah, well, so we're go ahead. Yeah, I said, we're exp well, they live in New England and uh, in Greater Boston, which not not has been as uh, not as much snow as we've had, and I think that's what happens when you have a a couple of relatively mild days in the middle of winter. Uh, instead of enjoying it, we have to be afraid. Oh my goodness, this is a horrible trend. You know, the crocuses uh, 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 crocuses aren't coming out yet, but if they bloom a little early, uh, we should say, isn't this a nice sign instead of worrying about it? You know? Yeah. I, I don't I don't remember the exact date, but I was just looking at an article um, the other day. I think I posted on my blog. It was um, some, from sometime in sometime about eighty or ninety years ago. It was eighty degrees in Boston in January, and I commented, well, "Imagine the imagine the hysteria if that happened now." Well, I remember when I was in the Army Reserves, we had cold weather training in February probably 80, maybe 1983. It was a weekend, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the first night it was in the 30s, maybe upper 20s. The next day it was in the low 60s and Sunday was low 70s. And I felt a little guilty because this was what I was used to when I was stationed in Germany. This was nice weather. But then it got cold again. And I remember March, mid-March being in the low 90s for one or two days, and you know, then going back to uh, going back to the typical March, uh, you know, cold weather. So, um, you know, yeah, that's well, the best. You know, in order to understand, you know, the past temperatures, you actually have to look at it. People rely on this sort of anecdotal idea. They think it used to be colder, or it used to be warmer. Or we didn't used to get weather like this. But if you actually go and look through the historical data like I've done, you find that none of this is true. 
there were plenty of times when there were warm winters, plenty of times when there were cold winters. You know, the, the whole the storyline of, of White Christmas is that it was Christmas Eve, they're in Vermont, and there's no snow. Right. Right? And that was 1954, and they were dreaming of a white Christmas. And, and in 1954, it was an extremely warm um, winter. It is true. And if you look at the 1932 Lake Placid Olympics, there wasn't any snow at all. A couple of weeks before the um, before the Olympics, they, they didn't think they were going to be able to hold an Olympics at all at Lake Placid in 1932. And then, um, and then they got a little bit of snow. And then in the middle of, in, it was like February 11th, 1932, they had a very warm day and just about all the snow uh, melted off the bobsled run. So this hasn't gone on forever. You know, cold winters, hot winters, but but people tend to rely on anecdotal evidence rather than looking at actual data. Well, I know, uh, no, you know, you know, having historical background, 1620 when the Pilgrims landed, it was a mild winter. They still have them, yeah. still died. In April 19th, 1775, it was a warm, unseasonably warm day when the British marched into Lexington and Concord and then got their Butts kicked all the way back to Boston, and I take in the reenactment uh, with my family and videotape it for the last 15 years. And for the most part, it's pretty cold. I mean, it's usually you know in the 20s, little 30. One, one day I think it was in the 50s with some drizzle, which was almost pleasant. But it's usually cold, and uh, you know that when it, so that was you know 200 years ago, more than 200 years ago, it was warmer than it was than it is today. Are you familiar with Noah Webster's 1810 book? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, we put it back in print. And he, I think he started that in the 1790s, and then he published it uh, on the supposed t- uh, change of temperature in winter. And what made me think of that is that in the article you had, you had some some critter. I forget what it was, uh, an aardvark. It's not an aardvark, some kind of critter, possum maybe that uh this was back in uh i don't know so many oh, years ago the arm was an armadillo that they were yeah. found further north and now they're heading back south again because the uh the climate is getting colder and yeah, that, was, that was what right that's what that was what led people back in the you know 18 early 1800s to think that the weather is the winters are getting warmer they thought it was a good thing they didn't panic about it including Thomas Jefferson, because certain species of animals would be found further north. And, you know, it's interesting in uh, Connecticut, in the West Haven, or East Haven, Connecticut, there are parrots that are out, that survive in the, uh, you know, in the city out, uh, I won't say wilderness, but uh, wild. Uh, they're thriving there, and no one's suggesting that that area has become tropical because some parrots are able to survive winters there in uh, Connecticut. Right. Right. Well, you know, there was a famous debate um, between Thomas Jefferson and Noah Webster about global warming. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a big believer that that the temperature was warming up, and Webster took the position that what well, that that what Jefferson was, had observed was that just that they cleared a lot of forest land out, and the snow was melting sooner because there was more sunshine reaching the ground, and and it was generally agreed that Webster won the debate, and, and Jefferson agreed with him that what they were observing was actually more like urban heat island effects. Um, also interesting was in um, 
George Washington's first January in office, right when he was inaugurated, um, the Capitol was in Philadelphia. That was 1790. And that was the warmest January on record in Philadelphia. They had many days over 70 degrees. There were a lot of reports of boys swimming in the rivers. Um, wow. And uh, I spent last spring in Philadelphia, which was the coldest spring on record, and it was miserable. Yeah, March was snowing every day. It was horrible. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. Like you say, anecdotal, my local city councilors would say something like, oh, don't you remember when you were kids there was more snow? Yeah, that's because you were only three or four feet tall, and you know, two <laughs> half of what you were. You know, I, I well, also well, did mention that. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. Yeah, that, well, the '60s and '70s, you know, did have a lot of snow. Um, and actually, um, Robert Kennedy Jr. He grew up in, you know, just west of Washington D.C. in the '60s, and there was a ton of snow then. And he got this idea in his head that that was normal for Virginia. But actually, if you look at the years before that and the years after that, it wasn't. So he came to the conclusion that it was. At one point, he actually wrote an article saying it was Sarah Palin's fault that they weren't getting as much snow in Virginia. Uh huh. Well, uh, I live near the Blue Hills uh, Weather Observation Tower, which is, I think, the longest running uh, from the 18, I think, 1880s. And you could go there, you know, it's open to the public on certain hours, and you could see what the temperature was for the last hundred years or so on, you know, look in your birthday and say, oh, 1959, that's when. And it's fascinating because you don't, if you just simply look at the hard evidence, and it's a pretty accurate readings. You did mention that we have the best readings in the world as far as land-based temperature uh, readings, even though a lot of these have been compromised. Uh, Anthony Watts, of course, did a lot of great research on that topic. Yeah, well, the United States has by far the best temperature record in the world. You know, Europe, it's been disrupted by a lot of wars. Um, they don't have very complete records there in, in, in a lot of places. Uh, Germany is a, is a notable exception. They do have good records there. Japan has good records and a few places in Australia. But outside of that, um, you know, the United States is the only large area in the world which has a really good, coherent, long-term temperature record, which is what makes the whole idea of a global average temperature just a farce. There's so little data for much of the world you know, when NASA and NOAA published these graphs showing, you know, this long-term historical data, they're just making stuff up. It's, it's not based on any real science, what they're doing. So there's now, plenty of evidence. You. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what, 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 in your opinion, what is the motivation behind this? Well, I, I think that, you know, there's different people have different motivations. I think that... At one time, there were people who thought they were going to make a ton of money off these carbon exchanges, and so there was a lot of a lot of rich people. Al Gore was certainly involved in that. A lot of other billionaires were involved in it. They saw this as a way to just scam huge amounts of money um, off these carbon markets. And when that kind of fell apart, you know, the other people latched onto it. Politicians, and I think people um, who 
we're, people on the left who are in clients like big government see, see this as a great way for government to seize control. Certainly the United Nations has been pushing this whole idea of, you know, one world government was the only way we're going to stop this global right. warming thing. Um, so that they've got, um, as far as the scientists themselves go, there, there's this incredible pressure on them to deliver the results which the government wants. Um, if, if every climate scientist who's funded understands the rules. If you go along with the global warming thing, you'll get your grants, you'll get your nice trips to Bali and Cancun, mm -hmm. places like that. You'll get, you'll get prestige, you'll get interviewed by the press. But if you go up against it, you get your funding cut off, you'll get ostracized, you'll get attacked. Um, even Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island has actually threatened prosecution against climate skeptics. Uh, mm -hmm. my, my, good, my good friend, Dr. Bill Gray, who passed away a couple years ago from Colorado State University, he was the leading tropical meteorologist in the world and the guy who invented hurricane forecasting. Uh, when Al Gore became vice president in 1993, he invited Dr. Gray to come to a global warming meeting. Yeah, and, and, and Bill said, well, I'd be happy to come, but you need to know that I'm not a big fan of your theory. Well, Bill had gotten funding from NOAA every year since the 60s. He got his funding cut off, never got another penny out of the government because he went up against, you know, the, the, the climate industrial complex is what I call it. And every scientist understands this who's involved in this. They know they go along, they'll get their funding, everything will go good. If they toe the line, if they go up against it, bad things are going to happen to them. They all understand this. So that's how they create the consensus. It's sort of a carrot and stick approach. You, know, you get mm -hmm. your funding, you get your prestige, you go up against us, we're going to beat you up bad. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's not a, just a scientist. I think it's uh, anyone, I mean, if I'm, I, I see a lot of, you look at websites of big companies and organizations, sustainable this, sustainable that, carbon footprint. Then you look at uh, contractors, um, benefit corporations, you know, it's almost like being kosher certified. You know, you better be green or you won't get the contract from that government entity to build uh, the new apartment complex or the highways or what have you. Yeah, well, and, and it's terrible. You know, I'm a very high profile target myself. And so that. There's lots of websites out there, which I don't know who's funding. I assume it's Tom Starr, but I'm not positive. Um, just attacking me, right? Make, making all sorts of lies about me. They have people pretending to be me, just put, with putting hideous things on there. And it, it causes me all kinds of personal harm. Like I've been fired from jobs. I had a, a you know, contract lined up a couple of weeks ago. They were about to sign me in, and then they found out about this, that I'm this horrible climate skeptic person, and, and they backed out of it. And I run into this all the time. So it's, and I'm outside of academia, I'm an engineer. You know, for people who are inside academia, the pressure is much more intense. You know, you go up against this climate industrial complex, you're going to get pounded on if you're inside academia. Well, uh, you call it the Green Mafia. Yeah, it, that, that's what it is. They use mafia tactics for keeping people in line. 
Well, I have to say, when they go after you, uh, I did a little. I looked at that website you were referring to, uh, you know, with filthy, filthy language and vile. And I say you must be doing something right for these folks that go after you as, mu- as much as they have. Yeah, well, you know, when you're over the target, you know, you're if you're catching flack, you know, you're over the target, right? Well, the, there's an old saying. There's an old Southern saying: if you when you throw a rock at a pack of hogs, the one that squeals is the one that you hit. You know. And I have to say that the smog, that, that's that Canadian left-wing uh, blog, they attacked Camp yeah. Constitution, and they said that we, we have notorious climate deniers teaching young people. I said, how do you become a notorious as just as opposed to a, a notorious climate denier versus a climate denier? I mean, that's like a five-star general, I guess, in the, in the, in the, in the denial, so-called denial, climate denial ranks. So I yeah. think that's a badge of honor. And uh, especially that young people are learning about this the right way, not through their government schools uh, learning the scare tactics. Right. Well, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left. How can uh, people get a hold of you or get a hold of your writings? Where can they find you on the web? Well, my blog is realclimatescience.com. And you can look okay. for me on YouTube. Look for me on YouTube. Uh, my YouTube channel is, uh, I think it's Tony Heller One. But if you just search for my name, Climate on YouTube, you'll find it. And my my Twitter handle is um, Steve S Goddard, which is okay. a long story. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest, especially on such short notice. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, folks, uh, thank you for listening to. Camp Constitution Radio, heard on WBCQ The Planet every Tuesday and Thursday evening. And until next week, may God bless you. Good night.